You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way. I want to talk to you about because 2022, and I believe, and Terry and I talked about it, and Dennis Burke was here a few weeks ago, and we talked to some, and, 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 and different minister friends that I have, we kind of feel the same idea, that, you know, really, it's not that there's been a shift, but if you really look at the church, and I want to talk to us as Faithway, and of course, our online church that grows every day, it's, um, the church wasn't built around this, meaning, you know, a preacher and a bunch of chairs. This was created, you know, somewhere around the 15th hundreds or so, but the church was created around tables. And as we're looking at a society, and Terry and I were talking about, you know, they say 40% of American churches did, did not reopen, you know, d- during the last two years with the COVID pandemic. I'm not sure, you know, how they figure those numbers, but nonetheless, you know, one of our campuses had to, you know, came under the attack and they didn't survive it, you know, but praise God, our crew's still together. You know, Laredo eventually had to be called because of the situation there. But, you know, the, the church is strong. But the point of it, the church was never really designed to say, hey, people, come to my place of gathering and listen to what the preacher's got to say. Now, we've been doing that historically for a couple thousand years. But if, as you study the church, that wasn't the, the model. You know, the model was a table. And, and you can go to Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, so forth. And you really find it. So I'm encouraging you know, all those that call Faithway their church, you know, our partners and friends and those that support the ministry. And, and we're still, you know, we got... Good to see you, Danny. You know, Danny has been, been with me down in Cuba, and we, we have, you know, three trips planned in the year. We had three trips planned last year. Not one of them happened, right? But, you know, we just planned. That's what you do. You don't, you don't stop being the church. You know, just got back from Mexico, and our church is, is good. They're dealing with the same thing that every church is dealing. You know, people aren't just coming back. But here's the thing. It's not about people coming back, and that's where the preachers, and if there's any preachers watching me online, listen to me, that's where we have it wrong because that's that little song I've been hearing over and over, and I'm sure Terry at every dinner table you've heard for the last year, you keep hearing that little song, people aren't coming back. And listen to me, church. If, if our church is going to be around in the next few years, it's not about people coming back. It's about this people going and getting back on the tables where it matters, where this makes a difference, where, you know, and I was going to read this, and then it's, I'm already gone on the whole thing, but I just want to read one little thing here just to support what I'm thinking, because of those three words, as I was seeking God for 2022, you know, 2021 for our family was, had a lot of highs, a lot of wonderful things, you know. I had a beautiful granddaughter, number four, come into this world, and I got the news that number five is on the way. So I'm blessed, you know. And I'm just so, you know, but, you know, we also had our challenges, and we had difficult, you know, difficult things. Ministry-wise, we had wonderful things, and we were able to minister not everywhere we wanted to, but, you know, we're able to get on the Navajo reservation and so forth. But my point of it is, as we move into 2022, you know, we got to consider what is the role of the church? Because the lines are being redefined. And if you're not reading, you know, if you're not reading between the lines, I just believe there's a whole bunch of other churches that won't be with us at the end of 2022. Why? Because we have to really go back to what this was about. And that's why I know, I know Terry and I have a, a friendship of many, many years, but but I think what tied our friendship together was that the, 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 the mission was very simple. It was about missions. It's always been about missions. 
You know, this started as a mission. You know, that was the message. It was never, let's, you know, we need the buildings. We need the organization. Don't misunderstand me. We need to have a way to connect and organize and talk and visit, which is this. But the church wasn't about this. And that's where this is, you know, and this is where really these kind of things that have come and people are shaken up. Oh, the church will survive COVID. I said, the church survived the first century. Are you kidding me? And the second century. And then, the, and then you know, by the third century, and then, you know, when they finally legalized them, they were getting killed. This is nothing new to the church. What the church has to understand is what is our role? Y'all leave on me? Everybody went Baptist on me real quick? Come on. <laughs> our role is out there. I'm not even going to get to my scripture, but you can read it now. Our role is to be salt. Our role is to be light. And those are some of the principles and the foundations that we're really going to be working in, in the next year. I would encourage you. You know, yes, we've all been beat down. We've all been here. But, you know, this is time to get fresh wind. This is the time to say, because at the end of the day, you don't live in 2021. You know, 2021 is like we're about to shut it down. Guess what? We don't even live in 2022. We just live right here. This is the now. This is it. And the church has to be relevant in that place. You know, and, I, and I'm telling you, get excited because I've said it before. Some of you that never dreamed, some of you, do, that's happened to some of our teams. Some, you know, some of the ladies, you know, and some other, they went to Cuba on their own. You know, nobody ever imagined they could do that. But that is really what shining your light is. That's what, what being salt is. Because one of the things that salt represents is a, it's a preservative. You know, it's one of the things that, that if the salt loses its flavor, didn't mean if it's not tasty anymore. If it loses its capacity to preserve things and keep things in the right place, it is pointless. It's talking to us, church. And if the light's going to be hidden, it's pointless. So I want to encourage you guys. This is not a time to be discouraged. It's time to get back excited on what God called you to do. Everyone has a place in this. Amen? And all those watching us online, you know, I feel the same way about you. You know, our partners and friends that, that, that keep things moving, you know, don't be discouraged. I know, I know Terry has got a great word for us. You know, we're all, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So open your ears, not just to a sermon. Open your ears to really what God's going to speak to you specifically and it's not so much about what I'm going to do. It's actually more about an attitude. I just got that right now. What is, what is my attitude going to be in 2022? You know, a lot of people, you know, even it, hits, it hits home, you know, as we know. People that should be here today with us got hit with it. They're home with Jesus, you know, and there's a lot of unfairness around the whole thing. But here's the thing. What do we do? Do we curl up? No. We shake it off. And we say, okay, Lord, if this is what it's going to be about, we will be salt and we will be light. And until you come, Lord Jesus, until you tell us something else to do, that's what we're going to be about our Father's business. Amen? So I want to encourage you, shake off whatever depression, anxiety, or whatever COVID did in the last two years and say, I'm ready to go. Amen? Now I want you to do one more thing. Stand up and give a big faith way. God bless. Welcome to my brother, my friend, longtime partner in ministry, Terry Miles. Right here. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. Well, good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. Happy New Year, almost. I tell you, we've been, we've been gathering around here for, on New Year's Eve for a long, long time. Praise the Lord. It's always a pleasure and a delight to be here. Always glad to see you. Always glad to be with you. Always look forward to it. And uh, y'all watch these guys grow up. They've been coming, as, as Pastor said, since they were little bitty guys, and now they're great big guys. And uh, so uh, it's always fun to be around family and, and to see what God's doing and to hear what God's doing and to do it together. Amen. And uh, George and Nancy, uh, wave your hand right there. This is George and Nancy Rainey, dear longtime friends of ours and partners of ours. And they live up north of Austin, but they, uh, 
they tend to show up whenever I'm preaching within three or 400 miles, and they've actually been here before over the years, and uh, so we appreciate you guys. Always good to see you. Glad you came, and uh, glad you're here. Praise the Lord. So, uh, y'all all excited about what God's doing? Amen. Amen. You know, just because we've been through a little rough, rough patch, uh, an unnecessary rough patch, Amen. Didn't have to be this way. Didn't have to be this way. So much of it's dictated from Washington, D.C., and uh, so much of it's just evil and wrong. But uh, we've had evil and wrong people in charge before. Isn't that right? Praise the Lord. So uh, I want you to say this with me, and I want you to get this way down in your spirit. I want you to say fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Say it again. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Now say it from down in here. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. We are not fear people. Fear will get you killed. Fear will get you killed. Fear is an evil spirit, a demon spirit, a force from hell. That when you operate in fear, it motivates hell and moves hell. And faith is a force from heaven. And when you operate in faith, it motivates heaven and it moves heaven. So it's up to you who's moving for you. Amen? You remember when you were a kid and you'd sit around and tell ghost stories? That night you didn't sleep too well and had bad dreams and all of a sudden something was under the bed and in the closet? That's because you invited a spirit, a force, a demon from hell. Or you went to watch some horror movie or watched it on television, some horror movie where where it's just fear, 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 fear. The whole thing is fear. And then that night you don't sleep too well and maybe not for months afterwards. It's because you've entertained and invited that spirit from hell and hell moves on that and is activated by that. And you did it. But by the same token, if you move in faith and operate in faith and release faith and declare faith, then heaven moves. And heaven's activated. And heaven does something for you, and you sleep peacefully. Amen? And it's up to you, because fear and faith cannot live in the same house. They are two oppositely opposed, diametrically opposed forces from two different worlds. Amen? And you just cannot operate in fear and expect faith to work. You cannot operate in fear and expect heaven to move. You know, when I was just a teenager, uh, the Spirit of God one day, I forget what happened, something happened. I think maybe I nearly had a wreck or something. It seemed like it was. I, I, I was driving along and, and I nearly had a wreck. Somebody pulled out in front of me and I had hit the brakes and skid and turn and you know, and all, and nothing happened. God saved me. And uh, uh, everything was fine, and so I'm still driving along. But what happened, H, was that it scared me. And, you know, faith, fear is not a mental force. When you get scared, just like that day when I was a teenager, when I got scared, I didn't say, that scared me, and grab my head. No, I said, that scared me. Because it's, it's, from, it's in from here. It's a spiritual force. It's not a mental force. It's a spiritual force. And so when you get scared, you never say, oh, that scared me. You say, oh, that scared me. And your heart beats real fast. And so that's what happened to me that day. I, whenever that happened, 
I, I, I got out of it and was driving. I, that scared me, man. My heart's beating. Tum, 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 tum. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me and said, and, and he just showed me, Kelvin, an, an open vision. I, I just saw this. I mean, I wasn't in a trance. I, I was driving. I knew what was going on. I was aware. But I saw in the Spirit on the inside of me. I could see inside me. And I could see on the inside of every Christian. Two meters, two thermometers, two gauges. And one said faith, and one said fear on the inside of everybody. And uh, the Lord said, they can't both be full at the same time. They work on reciprocals. If you're full of faith, you're empty on fear. If you're full of fear, you're empty on faith. That's why when Jesus said to the disciples when they were there in the boat and the, and the wind came and they said, Master, don't you care that we perish? And uh, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and he turned on them and said, Why are ye so fearful? Why are ye so fearful? Full of fear. Then he said, How is it? How is it that you have no faith? Jesus scratched his head and said, How is this possible? You've been with me all this time. How is it you've been with me at night and day, night and day, and you have no faith? How is that even possible? It just baffled Jesus. Isn't that right? Another time he said to him, O ye of little faith. He rebuked them all the time for being in fear. First thing he did when he rescued Peter, when Peter's walking on the water and began to sink, and Jesus grabbed him and saved him, the first thing Jesus did is rebuked him and said, Peter, why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? I just told you it's me. Don't be afraid. And you come walking out here and get scared and begin to sink. What's wrong with you? Why'd you doubt? God hates fear. Heaven hates fear because fear will paralyze you operating in faith. Fear is faith's great, great enemy, and faith is fear's great, great enemy. Fear is the only play hell has. Fear is the only thing hell has going for it. And hell can paralyze you with fear. It can kill you with fear. The Bible says, in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. In other words, people are going to be literally scared to death. They're literally going to die of fear. And we are the very people that that should never, 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 never happen to. We have been preaching, Kelvin, the word of faith, what we call the word of faith. For 50 years, some of us longer, some of us shorter, but 50 years is, you know, I've been preaching it for 55 years. I started preaching it when I was 16 years old in 1966. That's uh, 55 years ago, about to be 56. And uh, other people have been preaching it 50 years, 40 years, 30 years. And we have preached this word of faith for 50 years, and it took, it took hell and our government 90 days to wipe it out. 90 days and the church folded like a cheap suit for the first time in history. For the first time in history, 
the church is scared. Isn't that amazing? I, I, let, me, let me read you something right here. I don't know who, if y'all know who this is or not, but most, some of us old heads know, know who she was. Great healing ministry named Lillian B. Yeoman. And she's got some powerful books that Brother Hagin talked to us about and other old-timers talked to us about. But here's what Lillian B. Yeoman said way, 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 way back. She said, during the epidemic of the Spanish influenza, that was what, 1917, something like that, 1718, one of the worst plagues that ever ever hit just kill people by the tens and tens of thousands she said during the epidemic of the spanish influenza which baffled our modern physicians almost as much as the plague that destroyed the firstborn of egypt baffled those of ancient egypt thousands of god's people were redeemed perfectly were were rendered perfectly immune by getting under the shelter of the blood Just like they did in Egypt when they put the blood on the doorpost and said the death angel's not stopping here. My firstborn will not die tonight. And I mean that death angel when he showed up, he showed up to kill. His purpose was to kill. His job, his assignment was to fly over Egypt, pass through Egypt, and go to every house, every house. Not your neighbor's, your house. And if he didn't see the blood... On the doorpost, he killed your firstborn. I don't care if your firstborn is 65 years old. The firstborn died. Even in Pharaoh's house. Didn't matter if you were rich. Didn't matter if you were famous. Didn't matter if you were a rock star. Didn't matter if you were Pharaoh. It just didn't matter. The firstborn died if the blood was not on the doorpost. Amen. That's pretty serious, isn't it? You can either sit there, Egyptians, Israelites, and you can just sit there and say, I don't believe it, or I don't think I will, or it's too much trouble, or I'm going to follow the science. Or you can get up and get the blood on the door, and your firstborn won't die tonight. Isn't that amazing? See, see we're, not, we're, not, we're not talking to follow the science and listen to the government. We're talking about what did God say? What really works? I'm not against science. I'm for science. I'm not against vaccines. I've been vaccinated all my life. Are you here? But the vaccines I took were... Uh, any of y'all in my age, you still got the scar up here. For smallpox vaccine. But the vaccine I took, H, was, uh, let me see if I can explain it to you. It was, uh, it was a vaccine. <laughs> it was a real vaccine. It was an honest-to-goodness vaccine, which means you get it, and then you can walk in a whole room full of sick people and not get sick and not make anybody else sick. This thing we got today is not a vaccine. It's a, it's a glorified flu shot. Then you got to go back and get a booster and 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 go back and get a booster. 
on a vaccine. I'm not against vaccines. I'm for vaccines. I'm a missionary. I've been vaccinated to go to all these countries over the years. You know? They say, hey, you're going to Africa. You need to take malaria pills. Okay. I've taken them with me. You know what those malaria pills were? Hydroxychloroquine. I've taken hydroxychloroquine all my life to go to where they got malaria, and it's cheap, and it's proven to work. And our government said, don't use it. Are y'all here? You need to take it from an old missionary who's been going around the world for starting my 54th year now. And I've been to the communist countries of the world. I don't mean one or two or three or four. I've been to the communist countries of the world. I understand communism. Americans don't understand communism. I, I get it. I understand it. I've been there. Lived with them. Dealt with them. I've gone into the leaders and talked to the leaders. I've thrown a couple of those leaders up against the wall a time or two and had that people drag me off of them because I despise communism. I despise it with everything on the inside of me. I don't like communism and I don't like communists. But I've learned something, George, in all my half a century of traveling to communist countries. I've learned something, and that is that communism has two enemies. The church and the middle class. You cannot, it's impossible, it's, you cannot have a communist country if you have a strong church and if you have a middle class. You can't do it. It won't work. So when they go in to turn a country into communist, the first thing they do is attack the church and the middle class. And in the United States of America, for the first time in history, and in England, and in New Zealand, and in Australia, in the Western world, for the first time in history last year, our government attacked the church. For the first time in history, attacked the church and attacked the middle class, the mom-and-pop businesses. Last year in Michigan, I don't know what the stats are here in, the, in, in Texas, but in Michigan last year, they lost 60,000 mom-and-pop businesses that will never come back. You know, for the first year and a half there, I, Kelvin, I was just telling people around the country, I was saying, do they think we're stupid? Do they just think we're stupid? And for the last half a year, I've been saying, I think we're stupid. <laughs> I think we're stupid. Because they said, hey, uh, COVID's really smart. You, you, you can go to Walmart, Target, Sam's, Costco, Home Depot, Lowe's. You can go to casino and shoot craps for three or four hours or play cards for, you know, hey, won't bother you. I mean, if you go to church, it'll kill you. Do they think we're stupid? We'll look around. Maybe we are. You can go. Did, did you watch any college football on TV? You're going to watch football tomorrow, and there'll be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in stadiums everywhere. Not socially distanced, but sitting there like this. Sloshing their beer on each other and passing the hot dogs. Hey, not a COVID German site. But now, if you come to church, if you go to a mom-and-pop store, 
It'll kill you. And if that's not bad enough, then we'll shame you. How dare you people go to church and endanger people's lives? How dare you go to church? You're going to kill somebody. You just hate all those people you go to church with. You're going to kill them all. But come join us at the casino. Hey, and by the way, it won't bother you to tattoo parlor. That's essential. You know that, that idiot governor of Michigan, communist woman, she, uh, she even said you can go to stores, but there's certain items in the store you can't buy. I mean, she'd have, they'd have plastic stuff on this aisle because if you buy it, you get COVID. But you can buy this stuff on this aisle. Do they just think we're stupid? I've gone in restaurants. Y'all probably have too. And, and the host tells me, said, sir, you're going to have to wear a mask. I said, okay. I said, I'll wear it as long as we both agree it doesn't work. As long as we both understand the science says it doesn't work. I'll be glad to wear it. It makes you feel better. I'll wear two or three. I said, but i got a question for you. When I sit at my table, am I going to have to keep my mask on? Oh, no, sir. You can take your mask off and you get to your table. I said, Okay. Where, where, where is my table? Oh, right there. Okay, so like here, I got to put a mask on to get across this 12 feet. And then when I get there, I'm safe. And I can take my mask off. No COVID. Yes, sir. I said, do you think this is as stupid as I do? Yes, sir, we do, but we have to do it. I get it. I'll do it with you because they want us to do it, but let's just agree it doesn't work, and it's stupid. How long are we going to be stupid? See, now listen to me. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, like I said, I'm, I'm for vaccination. I'm not, for, I'm not going to get this one because it's not a vaccine. <laughs> if it'd make it work, I'd say, hey, sure. But I don't like it to be experimented on. And I like something to work. And again, I have no problem with vaccines, man. No, no, no. Hey, bring it on. You, you invent one that works, sign me up. I'm for it. But just how stupid do they think we are? Or how stupid are we? When we know for a fact there are medicines that work, we know for a fact, absolutely. You talk about follow the science. I, we can give you years and years and years and years of history of them working. But the government said, no, you can't take those. You can't have those. You can't have those. Why? Because they cost 25 cents. Do you know, do you know, do you, do you know, Kelvin, that, that the CDC says <clears throat> that every year in the United States of America, every year, every year, every year, from the normal common flu, 45 to 65,000 Americans die. 45,000 to 65,000 die of the flu every year. The CDC said last year, you know how many people in America died of the flu last year in 2020? 2,500. COVID's cured the common flu. Do they just think we're stupid? And see, don't get me wrong, I don't, it's none of my business if you wear a mask or three or six. None of my business. I don't care. Don't hide off my heel. I don't care if you don't shake hands. I don't care if you wash your hands 500 times a day. 
I don't care if you stay home from church if that's what you think you want to do. None of my business. It's none of your pastor's business. Until you do it in fear. In the split second you do it in fear, it's your pastor's business and it's my business as an apostle to the church. Because fear will get you killed. Because fear is from hell. Amen? So, I'm glad y'all are here. You're heroes. I'd wash your feet. <clears throat> you know, back, back, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> back 2,000 years ago, when uh, God anointed somebody by the Holy Ghost, we don't know who it is, to write the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people think Paul did. That's fine with me. It's just we don't know. We can ask him when we get to heaven. But God anointed somebody, and they wrote the book of Hebrews, anointed of the Holy Ghost, and uh, the Holy Ghost looked down through time at 2,000 years and had them pen, in chapter 10, verse 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do. And even more so, as you see the day approaching. That was for this day. That was for today. We have a, we have a mandate. You talk about mandates for vaccines and mandates for man. We have a mandate from heaven. That carries more weight with me. I have a mandate from heaven to not s- separate myself. But to... But to Get together with the body of Christ. Amen? Does that make sense to you? Are y'all here? Are you sure you're here? I'm not mad at anybody except hell and the government. You know, I was in, I was in Lake Charles, Louisiana preaching a few months ago. And there, the, the, the week I was there, three major big churches in town had never opened up again since they closed. In the week I was there, they made the announcement, we will never open up again, we're done. Three churches, in Lake Charles isn't even that big. Three major churches said, we're done. We're done. And like I said, y'all take it from an old missionary that's been to these communist countries. That's how it starts. You know, just a, just a few weeks ago, I sat there right on television and watched... Black Lives Matter and some other protest groups marching in the streets of America holding up signs that said, we want a communist government. I'm into Cuba. Been to Russia. Been to all those Eastern Bloc communist countries. Been to them over and over and over and over and over. Been to them back when they were still communists. Been to the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union. It wasn't in Russia. It was the Soviet Union. The Iron Curtain. And uh, that's how it starts. The first, the first edict that Fidel Castro made when he took over Cuba in 1959, January the 1st, 1959, he said, there is no Christmas. Christmas does not exist. 
You will not say Feliz Navidad. You will not have Christmas trees. You will not have Christmas lights. You will not sing Christmas songs. Christmas is not a holiday. Christmas is not a holy day. Christmas is just another day, and you're going to work in the sugarcane fields on December 25th, just like you do on December 24th and December 26th. It's just another day. And for 45 years, Silent Night was silent until I took a Christmas tree over there in, 19, in 2004. And the only TV station in the whole nation televised the whole thing. It went all over the nation. The whole country saw it. And we had a Christmas tree lighting ceremony, and I told the Christmas story at the invitation of the government. They said, would you tell us the Christmas story? And so I told them the Christmas story. And then they said, we want you to be the first American in 45 years to go into a government building with government permission and have a church service. And so I did. Went into a beautiful old museum and preached a church service with the government's permission. And uh, went back the next year in 2005. They asked me to do it again in 2005, and I did it in 2005. And now I have partners everywhere I go. They say, Brother Terry, you still taking Christmas trees to Cuba? I said, no, I just did it two years and didn't have to do it anymore because we changed history. Remember me preaching a sermon to you a couple of years ago about don't move the post? See, they had moved that post way over here, and there is no Christmas. Well, God sent me over there in 2004 and 2005 and said, move that post back over where it belongs. And we moved the post. So now you go to Christmas at Go to Cuba at Christmas time, like right now, why you'll find Christmas trees, Christmas songs, Christmas lights, Christmas everything. That's changing history. Amen. Now, we're going to serve God no matter what the government does. Some of us are just old. We're diehards. We're in it for the duration. We're here. I don't care what you do. We're, we're here. And we're going to serve God. But you know what? Uh, the rest of the bunch that's hiding in the foxholes, they need help because fear and faith can't live in the same house. Seriously, fear and faith can't live. Some of y'all have friends that are scared. Some of y'all have neighbors that are scared. Some of y'all have relatives that are scared. And uh, they need help because fear will get you killed. And so the Lord said to me, show me these gauges. And he said, they, they, they work reciprocal. You can't be full on both. If you're full on one, you're empty on the other. If you're full on the other one, you're empty on the other one. And he said, he said now you've entered this situation you just had, this near collision. You entered it full of faith and empty on fear. He said, that works for you. He said, but what happened when you nearly had the wreck and your faith worked is your faith fear meter shot up. And when it did, your faith meter shot down. Now you're not prepared for the next one. If you go along in this condition, you're in trouble. You don't want to get into the next one empty on, fear, empty on faith and full on fear. So you need to fix this before the next one. So I immediately said, fear, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The Bible says fear has torment and perfect love casts out fear and God's love. And I've got God, so fear you go. God's not giving me the spirit of fear, but the, but the love and power and a sound mind. You foul spirit of fear, get off me in the name of Jesus. And I begin to pray in tongues. Oh, rabbi, shut the rabbi, rabbi. And, and, oh, and it, it changed. Now I'm ready for the next one. But our job as Christians is to make sure we're ready for the next one. And hell knows when you're full of faith and knows it can't get you, but it tries so that it'll scare you. 
Hell's going to try to do something to you or to your family or to whatever just for the only purpose of scaring you to, to get your fear up and your faith down so it can get you the next time. Hell's, hell's in there for, for the double shot. Not just the first shot, but to get your faith down so you're unprotected. Does that make sense to you? Are, 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 y'all, are y'all, y'all here? Now listen, I'm all for, I'm all for what Pastor said a while ago. The, the church, you know, I mean, I've preached this for decades. The church is out in the world, and my deal is get off the pews and get out in the world, and you know, let's go win souls, and that's the, that's the purpose, and that's the name of the game, and that's the, that's the purpose of the church. Is, but that doesn't mean we just quit doing church. We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and God said we need a pastor. God's not into you just going out and doing your own thing. He wants you to come and have a pastor. He said, in fact, I'll give you pastors after my own heart. So he's not into just everybody going and doing their own thing. He's into you gathering together, pastor ministering you out of a pastoral anointing from heaven. We get the instructions and then go out. Come back, get our instructions, go out. Amen. So God's not through with the church. Let me tell you something. The, the Egyptians came and went. The Greeks came and went. The Medes came and went. The Persians came and went. I told Khomeini came and went. Hitler came and went. Stalin came and went. Lenin came and went. All those murderous, lying, they all came and they were all bad and they're all gone. And the missionaries came and are still here. The church came and is still here. The church has never gone anywhere. And it certainly faced bigger devils than this little doodad here with a 99% recovery rate. Amen. Now, don't get me wrong. I know people have died of COVID. I've buried people. You know? They, my, my friend Fred Price, one of the greatest faith preachers I've ever known in my life, a dear friend of mine, died this last year, and they said it was of COVID. I don't believe it. They said it was of COVID, and they, the family called me and asked me to come out and do part of the funeral, and I did. But you know what, Kelvin, I knew Fred. I mean, I knew Fred. I didn't just hear him preach. We were friends. We had many a meal together, many a visit together, many a talks together. One of the greatest faith men I ever know. And I'm not sure he died of COVID. Because, you know, a doctor would have to be really, really, really solid and honest and have integrity beyond reproach. When you're sitting there, Monica... And you got your pad here, and your patient's dead, and, and, if, and, and if you write pneumonia on there, you don't get any money. But if you write COVID on there, you get $37,000. That'd take a pretty strong doctor to say, hmm, let me just say this was COVID. And who would know? Because for the first time in history, they've stopped the sick person from having an advocate. Let me tell you something, anytime you go to the, the, the nursing home or anytime you go to the hospital, you take somebody with you as an advocate. Somebody needs to be watching. Somebody needs to be asking them, what are you giving them? Uh, what, what, what's that for? Uh, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, the last year and a half, we've been banned from hospital rooms. We've been banned from nursing homes. Renee's got a sister in, in the nursing home 
that we, we, we have to go stand outside and look in the window and talk to her on the cell phone, but there's no touch. They're not getting a hug. They're not getting a touch. There's not an advocate where we can walk in there and say, hey, what, what, what are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? Let's see. COVID or pneumonia? Are y'all here? Are we stupid? Now, again, I'm for, hey, if you want to stay home and watch church, I'm glad for all you folks watching. Delighted you're here. But don't let it be a habit. Don't let it be your way of life. In fact, I'll look at you like I've looked at tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands this last year on video and say, I'm begging you. I am begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm imploring you. Come back to church. Come back to church. Come back to church. I'm, I'm pleading with you for your, for your sake, for your kids' sake, for your grandkids' sake. I'm begging. You know, I was getting my hair done here a few months ago, and the lady that does my hair, she said, she said Brother Terry, she said, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying this uh, uh, church online business. I said, you are? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, it's great. She said, man, I, I just, man, I, I, Sunday morning I turn church on and I get my dishes done. I get my vacuuming done. I, get, I said, wait, time, time, time out. Whoa, whoa, stop. She said, what? I said, you're not listening. She said, of course I'm listening. I said, no, you're not. You're not listening. I said, oh, you've got it on in the background. But you're not sitting there with your Bible and your notepad. You're not focused. You're not listening to the Holy Ghost. You're not listening to what's being said. You're not making demand on your pastor. Amen? Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Zechariah 13, 7 says, now listen, this is, this is, this is, a, this is a military plan. This is military strategy right here. Zechariah 13, 7 says, Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Every army knows that. They told us back in Vietnam days, they said, they said, do not, in other wars as well, they said, do not run up to an officer and salute him. Because the enemy's out there watching in binoculars, and when they see you salute somebody, they know it's an officer, so they take a, have a sniper take him out. Because the plan is smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. Get rid of the leader, and you get rid of the sheep. Churches are under attack. Churches around the world are under attack, and churches in America are under attack. Now, churches around the world have always been under attack, but this is a new deal. This is a new deal for American church to be under attack. Get rid of the church. Smite the church. And take the nation to hell. Hell's after you. Because you're the light, as Pastor said a while ago. You're the light and you're the salt. And I've told you around every decade, salt has two qualities. It, it makes people thirsty and it's a preservative. So if he gets rid of the salt, we're not making anybody thirsty. If we're not this preservative that's holding things together. You know, for, the, for all throughout history, when there's a disaster happened, uh, when, a, when a sickness came, when a war came, when 9-11 came, doesn't matter what happened, when, when there's any kind of a major disaster, catastrophe, problem, uh, 
what has happened throughout history is the world gets scared. The sinners get scared. The world gets scared. And they run, jump into a foxhole. And, then, and they're all terrified. And then after a while, somebody looks up above the foxhole and says, is there anybody out there? Is there anybody I can look to? And they, and they see the church out there just walking around being normal. So they say, hey. And so they call out of the foxhole. They run over to the Christians and say, what are you doing? What's, what's going on? Oh, come on, church with me. It's okay. And the church has always grown. Always. It's history. But for the first time ever, when this thing happened, everybody went and jumped in the foxhole like normal, scared, terrified, and they're just sitting there shaking, scared, and they turn around and look at their neighbor, and, and it's the church. For the first time in history, the church is in the foxhole. The church is scared. And so they look out there, and there's nobody. There's nobody because the church is scared and in the foxhole. And the church was never, 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 never intended to be scared or intended to be in the foxhole. We are the light. And we are the salt. We are the people of God. I've said the churches all over, everywhere say, what's happened to the Psalms 91 folks? What happens to the folks that used to tell me, oh, Brother Terry, I tell you, no plague comes nigh my dwelling. No evil befalls me. No plague comes nigh my dwelling. Thousands fall at my side. Ten thousand, my right hand. It'll not come near me. Bless God. Where are they? Well, that's y'all, I know. But, I mean, where are they? Where's the John G. Lake people? You know, John G. Lake in South Africa, all those years ago, the bubonic plague, horrible plague. I mean, like a real plague. I mean, a a deadly plague, a real one. Not with a 99% recovery rate, but I mean, mean one that just slaughters everybody. Bloody froth coming out of every orifice. And John G. Lake, that great minister, in there ministering to him, taking care of him, helping him, getting that stuff all over him. And so their version, South Africa's version of the CDC came in there, and they said, what are you doing here, preacher? You can't be in here. You'll die. Get out of here. We're ordering you out. He said, I'm not leaving. He said, this stuff can't live in my body. Oh, you're a religious nut. That's stupid. No, no, no. Go get some and put it on my hand and look at it under a microscope. It can't live in my body. So they went and got some bloody froth and put it on his hand, looked at it in a microscope, saw this little... Germs just all wiggling around, just all healthy and great, and then died. And I've had people tell me all my life, but I'm just like John G. Lake. I can't live in my body. Well, what, where are they? They're in the foxhole. I've had Christians for years and years and years tell me, Brother Terry, that's such a shame what happened in Nazi Germany. Where was the church? The Lutheran church was there. It was strong. Where were they? Where were they? I said, they're scared. They were scared. Oh, that wouldn't happen to me. If I'd have lived in Nazi Germany, Brother Terry, I'd have, I'd have, yeah, right. You folded like a cheap suit. This is the day the word of faith was made for. This is the day that all those sermons that you heard Kelvin Box preach all these years, and Brother Copeland preach all these years, and me preach all these years, and Kenneth Copeland preach all, and Brother Hagen preach, about the words of your mouth, 
about faith. About faith requires action, demands action. And all of a sudden, this is the day that was for. This is the day that was for. All those years when preachers would stand up and Christians would say, I don't care if gasoline goes to a dollar a gallon. I don't care if bread goes to a dollar a loaf. And all of a sudden, hey, man, right now gas is going in some places for eight bucks a gallon, some places five bucks a gallon. And this time last year it was under two dollars. Isn't that amazing? This time last year, we were oil independent. We got more oil than anybody in the world. We were oil independent last year. And now look at us. We're begging and crying to OPEC. Please give us some oil. Please give us some oil. Smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep. Y'all, y'all, y'all with me? Daniel seven twenty five. I want you to listen to this. This is the Antichrist talking. Then are talking about the Antichrist. Daniel seven twenty five. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. Well, that's happening, isn't it? Well, they're talking all kind of bad things about God. He shall speak great words against the Most High. And listen to this. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And he'll think to change the times and the laws, and they'll be given into his hand. His job is to wear you out. You're the saints. And his job is to wear out the saints and think to change the times and the seasons. That's all happening right now. Isn't that right? Say, fear and faith can't live in the same house. See, would you have gone to church in a communist country where it was underground? Would you have gone to church in a communist country where it's penalty of death? First time I took Renee, Renee was down here with me, by the way. She came on the trip with me. Then she got a call from her her daughter in Houston having some surgery, and she had to go help with the kids. So she's sorry she's not here and probably watching online tonight. Go to church, Renee. But uh, uh, first time I took Renee to Romania with me, Romania used to be a, a communist country. Russia took it over, USSR took it over after World War II, and uh, was a communist nation. And so the church there had to be underground, just like in all over the world, communist countries all over the world, the church has to be underground, penalty of death. And uh, so when she was with me that very first year, age, was, I had uh, two, or, two or three or four hundred, I forget which, Either 100 or 200 gypsy pastors, then plus their wives. So it was either, it was either 200 or 400 people I had. I forget which. And, uh, and so I ministered to all these gypsy pastors. And, and so I told Renee, I said, stand here right here beside me because I want to introduce you to some of these people. But I want to, I want to tell you about them before I do. And so there'd be somebody walking toward me. And I'd say, I want you to look at this guy. I want you to look at his fingernails. Because they used to take him to the, the secret police and take him down to the police station and put his fingers in the, in the door jam and shut the door on his you know, and say, where are the Bibles? Where's the secret church? Where's the underground church meeting tonight? And then I'd say, now look at this guy. Look at this guy. You'll see his nose is broken. You know, look at this guy. 
And one guy came and I said, I want you to look at this guy. He looks all nice and normal. He's going to suit. So his hands look good and his face looks good. But if you could take his clothes off, he's burned all over his body. Because one night the, uh, one of the secret policemen found the location of the underground church. So he went in before church, took out the kerosene lamps, dumped the kerosene out, filled them up with the gasoline, put them back. And so when pastor came in that night and took a match to light the lantern, blew up all over and burned his body all over. So I want you to look at this guy. His wife, they, they raped his wife in front of him. Then they raped his 16-year-old daughter in front of him. See, these guys paid a price for the gospel. What, what does an American know about any of that? See, look at this guy here. They, they took his pregnant wife, and in front of him, they beat her in the belly until she aborted the baby. See, what, what would we do? Would we, go, would we go to the underground church if we thought if the penalty was death? We got Americans who won't even come to church now with, with no penalty. Of course, I go to Costco, go to Sam's, go to Walmart, go to Target, go to Home Depot. But don't, uh, but don't let me get caught in church. That might, might get in trouble. My friends in Canada, Canada is absolutely locked down. It's a communist country. Trudeau is a communist. They're arresting Canadian pastors. They're, they're, they're fining Christians in Canada $1,500 for one church. Would you pay $1,500 to come to church? In Nova Scotia, in the, north, in the very northeast, <clears throat> up, in the, up in the fountain, they've just passed a law that you cannot go into a grocery store and buy groceries without providing a vaccine passport. Brother Terry, you're saying that's a mark of the beast? No, I'm saying it's a test run. It's a precursor. It's a pre-runner. It's a forerunner. Will the people submit to this? You know, the other day, Biden mandated the entire military of the United States take a vaccine. And I've said uh, over and over, I say, Why don't, what if they just all said no? What, what would they do? What if the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, Coast Guard, what if they said, nope? What doing it? What could they do? Nothing. See, all this compliance... See, when this thing started, our government was very, very smart. Well, let me tell you a story before I tell you that. In 1968, I was in Panama as a missionary. I was 18 years old. That was my first missionary trip. And here it is 50, almost four years later, and I'm still doing it. But, but I lived in the jungles of Panama, and when I'd come in from the jungle to get supplies uh, every couple of months or so, um, I wouldn't go into Panama City, which is just a third world country, but I'd go into the Panama Canal Zone. Now, the Panama Canal Zone is, is, a, is an area uh, several miles wide and all the way across Panama where the United States paid for and went and dug a canal from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. So for centuries and centuries and centuries, ships had to go, uh, when they wanted to go from there to there to the Pacific, they had to go all the way down south around the Horn of, of South America 
and, and which was a dangerous trip. Sometimes you couldn't even get around the horn for weeks. You have to sit there and anchor and try every day to get around it and couldn't do it and wait and go back the next day and finally get around. And so we dug a hole, a trench, a canal from the Pacific to the Atlantic, and, uh, and the United States owned it. It was ours. It was American property. Our military was there. Military dependents were there. I mean, so when I came in, why stay in Panama City, a third-world country, town, when I could walk across the line and go to get French fries and hamburgers? I mean, go to America. And so it was great. I mean, it's America. And then some knothead peanut farmer by the name of Jimmy Carter got in the White House and, and thought he had a great idea. Let's just give it back to Panama. Knothead. And so he gave it back to Panama. We've had some idiots in the White House. And uh, so when I was there in 1968, when I was there, Panama passed a law. And they said no flag will fly higher than a Panamanian flag. Well, that caused the zone a problem. Because America has always said no flag flies higher than the American flag. We dip our flag to nobody. Little fun fact you may or may not know, Texas is the only state in the Union that can fly their flag as, at equal height as the American flag. No other state can do that because Texas used to be its own country. So our flag, our Texas flag, can fly equally high, but no flag can fly higher than the American flag. And so the politicians got together and the military got together and, and, and they all went and had a big conflict there in Panama and then calling Washington and trying to... And so they finally came to a compromise and just said, we won't fly a flag. This is a way to fix this problem. We just will no longer fly the American flag because we're not going to dip it and it'll make the Panamanians mad if we don't dip it. Well, who cares what they think? And so they said no flag. But they didn't, H, they didn't count on American teenagers. Because all of a sudden, all these thousands and thousands of American kids, dependents of military and the other service people that were there, all of a sudden those kids said, well, by God, we've gone to church, gone to school under this flag our entire lives, and we're not stopping now. And so they got together, the kids got together, and said, everybody meet at the flagpole Monday morning. Y'all think that me at the pole thing just started here a few years ago in the States, and some charismaniac idea came along. No, no, no. That started in 1968 in Panama by a bunch of kids and said, and said we, y'all all, we all going to meet at the pole Monday morning. We're going to raise the flag. We don't care if Panama likes it. We don't care if America likes it. We don't care who likes it. And so they did. These thousands and thousands of kids showed up Monday morning. They raised the flag. So here comes their parents in the army out there and the school out there. And those kids said, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. We'll raise it every morning. And so America said, eh, you know what? Panama can go just go jump off a cliff. We're going to fly the flag. Now, now, had our government last year, had they approached the church like this, Pastor, you're closing down. There is no more church. There will be no more church in America. Not one Christian go to church Sunday. Have they done that? Every church in America has been full. I mean Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, I don't care what it was. Everybody said, my God, I'm going to church. I'm an American. I'm going to church. But they didn't do that. They were smart this time. And they said, Pastor, 
would you just help us out? Would you just help us flatten the curve? Would you just give us two weeks? Would you just close church for two weeks? We'll flatten the curve and save America, save life. Pastors said, well, most pastors, some pastors didn't close. They said, no. But most pastors were nice and said, hey, well, sure, we're, we're big boys. We, we, we can go two weeks. And so they complied. And some of them have never opened since. And some of them never will. Never will. See, we need to remember what country we're in. Amen. Say, fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Would you go to church? See, all through the Bible, and, and most of my preaching over the years to Christians, I preach to sinners and get them saved and healed, but to Christians, I, I teach a lot on leadership. I've done pastor's conferences. God told me when I was a kid to do pastor's conferences, train pastors. I've trained them all over the world. I've mentored them all over the world. Kelvin preaches on leadership. You know, almost every preacher I know preaches on leadership. Well, what kind of leadership do we have right now? See, every one of you is a leader, if in no other area, in your own family. And your kids are watching you. And your grandkids are watching you. What kind of leader are you? How do you lead? I've always told leaders when I do a leadership conference, I always start off by saying, the definition of, of, a, of a leader is one who leads. If you're not leading, you're not a leader. A leader has to lead. Now, if you've ever heard my wife, Renee, talk at any time, any length at all, you'll hear her talk about how her great church she came out of, she was raised in the same church in Shreveport, Louisiana, that Jerry and Carolyn, Savelle, Carolyn was raised in. She and Carolyn were friends as, as girls, and then Jerry came along later and married Carolyn. And in the same church they came out of, you hear Brother Copeland talk about that church all the time, and it was just a fabulous, wonderful, marvelous, great church. And, and that's Renee's heritage. She talks about that church and about those people in that church all the time and how just how, how great and wonderful that her mama and her daddy took her to church and her grandparents took her to church. You hear her talk about that all the time. That's her legacy, that her parents and grandparents took her to church and she is what she is today because of that. Well, you hear me talk about how my mama drugged me to church. I, I've told people I had a drug problem. She drugged me to church every time, grabbed my ear and drugged me to church every time the doors open. I mean, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning. You know, Friday night, whatever's going on, I went to church. And that's my legacy that my, my parents saw to it that I was in church. They never asked me if I wanted to. Because leaders don't ask people if they want to do something. I've been to so many churches over the decades, and uh, some of my friends and partners have come up to me and... and uh, Oh, Brother Jerry, so good to see you. That was a good message tonight. I'm so, so glad you're here. Said, That's great. Where, where's the kids? I miss out of the kids. Oh, well, they're not here. They're not here. Well, where are they? Well, they're home. They're home. Why aren't they at church? Well, they didn't want to come. I said, well, who asked them? Why did you bother to ask them? Well, what's wrong with you? Did you ask them if they wanted to go to school? Of course not. 
You tried to wake them up morning after morning after morning, year after year after year, and they said, I don't feel good. I don't want to go to church. You'll get up. You'll feel better later. I'm sick. You'll feel better. Get up. Get up. I don't want to go to school. I don't care. Get up. You want to school. It's good for you. Brush your teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. Brush your teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't care what you want. Brush your teeth. Eat your vegetables. I don't like vegetables. I don't care. Eat your vegetables. It's good for you. See, parents know what's good for kids. Kids do not know what's good for kids. When my oldest son, Lynn, who's now 50, you know, was 16, he came to me and, hey, Dad, would you buy me a portion? I said, no. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to pray about it. No. Well, why not? Don't you want me happy? I said, no. I don't care if you're happy. So you need to understand, you, you, you don't care whether your kids are happy by their standard. You want them happy, okay, but you want them happy by your standard. Because you know what's good for them, they don't know what's good for them. Hey, Dad, can I shoot drugs? No. Can I snort this? No. See, you're the parent. You know what's good for them. Well, God's the same way. He doesn't give a rip if you're happy by your standard. He wants you happy by His standard because He knows what's good for you. He knows what's life and what's death. And so He tells you to do things because it's good for you. He never asks you. There's no place in the Bible where He asks you if you want to do something. He just tells you, do it. Now, you don't have to do it, and he tells you you don't have to do it, but he didn't ask you if you want to. He says, do it, and you'll be blessed. Don't do it, you'll be cursed. Here's life, here's death, here's blessing, here's cursing. Choose, dummy. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand that? What would we do under penalty of death? If you think this is bad, just wait. See, us, us, what time is it? I'm, us word of faith folks are really in a quandary and in a dilemma. We really are. Because we're word people. And because we're word people, we know the Bible says things are going to get worse. We know that it's going to not only be dark, but it's going to be gross darkness. But we're, we're also word people, so we try to fix everything with the word. So we start commanding and demanding and believing and decreeing and taking authority and dominion to make things better when we know, we know it's going to get worse. So we know we can't stop it, so we're in the, we're in the, we're in the race to prolong it. <laughs> Isn't that right? You know, we know we can't stop it. I wish we could, but I'm too much of a word guy to know that ain't going to work. So I just keep prolonging it and praying and believing God and, you know, believing it's better. Are, are, are y'all here? Da David's mighty men of valor. David had all these guys. He had this whole army, but in his, in the King David. But in his inner circle, he had some guys they called the mighty men of valor. And these guys did some tremendous exploits, and you know you know them. But... One time, David, just, just nonchalantly, they were out on a campaign, and he just said, oh, man, 
Now, he just off the top of his head, he said, oh, man, I'd love to have a drink from the well at home. That, that tastes so good. And a couple of his mighty men of valor heard him say that. So the Bible says they broke through. Now, when it says to me that he broke through, that tells me they didn't just walk over and back. I mean, they, they had to go through enemy lines, right? They put their lives at risk, penalty of death, to get him some water and brought it back to him and gave it to him. And when he realized what they had done and realized he put their lives at danger, it messed him up so badly, he just said, I can't drink this. You guys risk your lives for this. I can't do this. I, I'm just going to pour it out as, a, as an offering to the Lord. And so he wouldn't even drink it. But see, they put their lives at risk. And you've got, look at, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The decree went out from the, from the White House and said, if you don't bow down and worship COVID, if you don't bow down and worship this idol, when the horn blows and the music plays, you're dead. We're putting you in the burning fire. We're burning you to death. And so at penalty of death, they didn't bow down. What would American church do today? Fold like a cheap suit. How many times over the years you thought, bless God, I'm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But see, those boys were men of faith and knew they weren't going to burn. And when they didn't bow down, they got caught like they knew they would. When everybody else is on bowing down, and you're the only one standing up, it's easy to see you. So they got caught, taken before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar liked these guys. He didn't, he didn't dislike them. He liked them. He'd given them positions of authority. I mean, they, they, he liked them. But when they brought him in and said, King, they didn't bow down. And you said, whoever doesn't bow down goes to the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar gave him a way out. You read Daniel chapter 3. And it said that Nebuchadnezzar said, Now, boys, uh, uh, if you're ready, we're going to do it again. Just for you. We did it for the whole nation, but we're going to do it again just for you three. And this time, when you hear the music, maybe you didn't understand before. This time, when you hear the music, if you'll bow down, it'll be well. He said, but if not, if you don't bow down, I'm going to put you in the burning fire furnace. And then he asked him a question. And the question is the whole caveat of the whole chapter 3 of Daniel. This is the whole point. He asked him a question. He said, and who is that God? that can deliver you out of my hand. Sound like Washington, D.C.? Sound like Hollywood? Who is that God, you little peanut Christians? Who is that God you think you serve? And they said, uh, King, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. In other words, we're not mincing words here, King. We're not being politically correct. You ask us who, what God's able to deliver us. Well, let, me, let me tell you, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, and he will. You read it in Daniel 3. Our God, you ask who's able, our God's able, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. 
That's what made him mad. Nebuchadnezzar, it says, got so mad that the visage of his face was changed. His whole face was changed. It's a mess. I mean, anger came across him that just literally changed his features. And he said, I'll make it seven times harder. Well, so what? You did it one hot. Right? So what's the point of saying seven times harder? Fear. It's hell's only play. It's hell's only move. So he said, I'll make it twice as hot. Well, we're still not going to bow down. I'll make it three times. We're still not going to bow down, King. Four times. Five times. King, we're still not going to bow down. I'll make it seven times hotter. It's just fear. It's fear. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. You're dead at one hot. You're not any deader. In fact, it's more kind to make it seven times hotter because when it's one hot, you're going to catch on fire and burn a little while and finally breathe that stuff and get in your lungs and die. The seven times was so hot, it killed the guards taking them up to the fire, never even got to the furnace. So it was kinder in instant death to make it seven times hotter. But the point was fear. Will you serve God or not. What's your legacy? What's your leadership? What are your children going to say? I said, when you listen to Renee, she talked, my grandmother took me to church. My, my mother took me to church. I said, my mama took me to church. What, what, what are your kids going to say about you? What are your grandkids going to say? 20 years from now, and they talk about COVID, what, what, what are your kids going to say? Your, are your kids going to say, my mama and daddy said they were Christians. But uh, we had this little 99% recovery flu showed up, and uh, they quit going to church. They preached to me all my life, told me they were Christians, but they quit going to church. What's your grandkids going to say? Well, my grandpa and my grandma, they, they, they told me all my life, they preached to me, told me they were Christians, told me they loved God, but this little disease hit, and uh, they quit going to church. I don't understand that because they still went to the casino. They still went to Lowe's. They still went to Walmart. They still went to Home Depot. They still went to ball games. They still, they still, but they didn't go to church. So I'm not sure they were Christians. What's your legacy? What are your grandkids going to say? What are your children going to say? You know, a number of years ago, I didn't tell this for a long time because I, I was told by the Pentagon not to, <laughs> but... It's been enough years now that I'll tell it. But uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the head honcho, the top Marine in the world at the Pentagon, Joint Chief of Staff, asked me, contacted me, and said, we've checked your clearance out when you're in the military and your clearance is still good. I don't know why. And, and uh, would you go to... Afghanistan and Iraq and go out in combat areas and fire zones and minister to our troops. I said, you're talking like a USO show? Oh, no, no, we're talking about combat. We're not talking about in the green zone or behind the line. We're talking about you'll fly, you'll fly commercially to Turkey. We'll pick you up in a Black Hawk in Turkey. We'll bring you to Baghdad. 
You'll have to suit up. You have to have full military gear, and uh, and then we will give you a, a Black Hawk and a, and, a, and a platoon, and take you from 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 fire zone to fire zone to fire zone to minister to the troops. Would you do it? I said in a heartbeat. I said I'll take that any every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And uh, now. Jackie didn't want me to do it. My wife didn't want me to do it. You know, my kids didn't want me to do it. I don't even know if my grandsons knew about it. And uh, I said, I'll do it in a heartbeat. And I tell you, Jackie and I talked long and hard about it. And she said, okay, go. And uh, so we were working on it and trying to make it happen, trying to get it to happen. But it was right in the time when we had a presidential election. And... uh, George Bush was going out, and Obama was coming in. And so they called me one day, and they said, Dr. Myers, it's off. We can't do it. President Obama won't let it happen. So we can still send you. We can still go. But you'll have to be behind the lines and be like, be like a USO. You can still minister to troops, but not in combat. And I said, no, I'm, thank you. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'll do that. Probably should have gone. I mean, ministering to him would have been still a good deal, but it just so bothered me so badly. But see, you know, and Jackie and I talked about it. I said, you know, you could die. And they told me that. You, you, you'll, be in, you'll be in harm's way. You know, you'll be in, could be a firefight while you're there, you know, any time. Or the Blackhawk shot down. It's okay, I'll still go. I'll go. See, what, 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 what will we do if... Under penalty of death, under threat of death. Does that make sense to you? What kind of Christian are we? Do do we believe what we believe? How long have you been preaching here, this church? Thirty years. The thirty years. The word of faith. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Wow. See, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church. And he said, uh, there in Corinthians, and he said, we felt like we had the sentence of death upon us. Didn't he? He said, we felt like, right into the church, to his partner, he said, "We, we felt like we had the sentence of death upon us. He said, but we prayed, we used our faith, you, our partners, prayed for us, and God moved and delivered us. See, all these years I've been a missionary, all the, I've been in such dangerous areas all these years. I've been in places where they tried to kill me, threatened to kill me, told me if I came, they'd kill me. But I always used my faith. I always asked my partners to pray, and God always moved and delivered me. That's what church is about. You know, the Buddhist army, 100,000 strong, sent me personal death threats. said, you tell Terry Myers, if he comes down here, we'll kill him. And I sent him a message back. said, you can't kill me. I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and Buddha can't kill me. Next time I went over there, they sent me a death threat. You tell Terry Myers, if he comes down here, we'll kill him. I said, you can't kill me. I'm coming in the name of Jesus. Buddha can't kill me. The third time I went over there, three different trips, not the same trip, three different trips. 
Because see, what happens is when the when the villages and the the, the pastors know I'm coming, they they print up little flyers or write up a little flyer, and then they just send runners to villages and tack them up. And so the Buddhist army sees it, you know. So they send a message. To tell the messenger, you run to tell the the, the church to tell Terry Miles if he comes down here, we'll kill him. And so the third time, I had my oldest son Lynn and my oldest daughter Lori with me. The third time, and and they said, uh, you tell Terry Miles if he comes out here, we will kill him. And I sent him a message back. And I said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. This is the third time you told me you are going to kill me. You hadn't done it yet. And I said, and if you're going to kill me, you better get some help. Because I've got more with me than you've got with you. You've only got 100,000. I've got the host of heaven. My missionary friend said to me, now, Brother Terry, um, if you're not going to use wisdom, that's why the church always says to you when they're about to put some unbelief on you, some doubt and fear and unbelief. Now, now you need to use wisdom. And Brother Terry, if you're, if you're not going to use wisdom, at least leave Lynn and Lori back here with us. If you're going to go in harm's way, don't take them in harm's way. Leave them with us. And I said, they'll be safe where I'm at. They'll be safe where I'm at. Now, I was going, at that time, I was going out to a, to a village of 28,000 people, and they were being attacked by the, by the Buddhist army. And I said to the messenger, I said, you tell, you make the announcement, when you go deliver my message about what I just told you, you also tell them that anybody of those 28,000 people, any one of them that come to my meetings will be safe, not have a hair of their head touched. Because they were, they were attacking on purpose Christians and especially pastors. They didn't sneak in at night to where the pastors were sleeping and cut their throat. It's, it, the communists always attack the church and smite the shepherd and scatter the sheep, kill the pastor. You ever been attacked, pastor? Yeah. I've been attacked. I buried a son. I buried a wife. Violation of covenants, but didn't change what I believe, what I preach, what I live. The word's still the word. God's still God. Truth is still truth. And so I went, and I took Lynn, I took Lori. And they said to me, they said, you know the, the trails out there are landmines. There's landmines on those trails. There's bouncing Bettys out there. That'll, you know, bouncing Betty. some of you military guys know what I'm talking about. It, it, when you step on it, it jumps up and then explodes. Doesn't explode down low. It, it jumps. It, it pops up and then explodes. So it gets more in the kill zone. So you understand? There's there's landmines out there on those trails, and and they're they're lobbing shells in with mortars and howitzers, and there's Chinese Chinese fighter pilots that from time to time strafe the village. Leave your kids back here. That's not to be safe from it. And anybody that comes to my meeting will be safe. And so we went, and we walked those trails, and we balanced on a log going over a creek, you know, going over a crevice and all that kind of stuff, finally got there. And uh, God moved and fell in that place. And we had salvations and miracles and people filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, my goodness. Out there in the jungle, in the teak wood, millions of dollars of teak wood growing all around me. I mean, million, teak wood just growing... And they're just praying in tongues and Holy Ghost. And that's the place, I told you one time before, that's the place where I looked up and, and two guys are carrying the third guy 
uh, on a, tied to a pole, got his wrist tied, got his ankles tied on, onto a pole, and one guy's got the pole here, and the guy in front of him's got the, and they're carrying this guy tied up like a pig. And uh, I saw him coming, and said, man, I've, I thought I've seen it all, but I hadn't seen that one before. And they brought him up and laid him on the ground, and his hands were pulled down like this, gray-headed, I don't know how old he was, he was gray-headed, hands drawn down like that. I've got pictures of him. Hands drawn down like that. His feet, same way, drawn down underneath like that. Never walked. Paralyzed. They carried him for several days to, the, to get him there. And uh, I tell you, I prayed for that guy, and I said, now do something you couldn't do. Boy, he started moving his hands. And he started moving his arms. He's laying flat on the ground. He's, and my, my missionary friend said, he's flapping his arms like a chicken. And I said, that's, that's all right. Let him flap. And uh, anyway, God healed him, and he got up and walked out just a Miracle, miracle, creative miracle. And not one person, not one, they, they attacked, the Buddhist army attacked. But not one person that came to my meetings were, were harmed, were, had a hair of their head. Now, a Baptist, a Baptist preacher was killed, but he didn't come to my meetings. I'm sorry he got killed, but if he'd have been in my meeting, he wouldn't have got killed. But he refused to come. But see, what would you do at the penalty of death? Paul said, we felt we had the sentence of death. What about Daniel? King Darius decreed and said, nobody will pray to any other god. And King Darius signed it. And it was a Babylonian law or a Persian law. And that meant that once he signed it, he couldn't retract it. He couldn't change his mind. And he loved Daniel. He thought Daniel was great. He was just an idiot for signing the paper, like a bunch of other idiots in power signed papers. And so he signed this paper that said, if you prayed any other God, you're dead. Go in the lion's den. Well, what did Daniel do? He could have just gotten his prayer closet and prayed nobody had known. But no, he throws the window open and stands in the window and prays to Jehovah God. Where everybody can see him. Penalty of death. You're a dead man. They bring him before Darius. Darius said, Daniel, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't do anything about it. You go into the lion's den. And he walked in there personally. Waited all day and then took him there in the evening. Put him in the lion's den. He said, Daniel, you're God that you serve continuously. He'll save you. They put the stone on the mouth of the den. Darius went back to his bedroom, didn't sleep all night. He prayed and fasted all night for Daniel. Came back early the next morning and said, Daniel, was your God able to deliver you? Daniel said, don't trouble yourself, king. These kitties made a nice pillow, a nice blanket. All is well. Boy, King Darius said, get him out of there. And they got him out of there. And Darius said, go get those bad guys that had me sign that paper and get their wives and get their children and throw them in here. And they did. And the Bible says that the lions had mastery over them and break their bones to pieces. See, that's penalty of death. Daniel said, no, I'm going to worship God. What would we do under the penalty of death? The church folded under the penalty of a... Third-rate flu. Again, I'm not making fun of COVID. People have died from it. I get that. It's been mostly people with compromised immune systems and, and 
this, that, and the other, and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, people have died, but yet 99% recovery rate. I'd take those odds every day and twice on Sunday. Are you here? The countries I've gone to, man, the, rate, the, the, the ratio's not near that good. The percentage isn't near that good. Are you here? What would we do? What would we do? But what was that about? It was about fear. It's always about fear. The whole thing with David and Goliath, it was about fear. Goliath came out there every morning for 40 days and every afternoon for 40 days and made the same speech. How many times did he make the speech? 80 times. Twice a day for 40 days. Send me a man to fight with me. If he kills me, the Philistines will be servants to Saul. And if I kill him, then or, uh, if, he, if I kill him, then Israel will be servants to the Philistines. And they're all scared. Could have been King Saul that was the hero of that story. Could have been any one of those soldiers. But they were scared. I've had people say, Brother Terry, how do you know King Saul was scared? Because verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17 says, And King Saul and all the men of Israel were greatly afraid. That's how I know that. They were greatly afraid. And fear did what? It paralyzed them. They didn't fight this guy for 40 days because they're scared. David comes along, and he doesn't know anything. He's been sitting out there taking care of the sheep, playing his harp, and writing praise and worship songs. He's been meditating on the stories that they've told him all his life, especially on, 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 on First Samuel chapter, chapter, or First Chronicles chapter 20. It says, when you see horsemen more than you and soldiers more than you, be not afraid, be not dismayed. Just go, and the Lord will fight your battle for you. And that's a scripture he quoted to Goliath when he got out there. So he gets out there and Goliath immediately curses him by his demon gods. Now you cannot stop hell or the devil from cursing you and damning you and telling you that you're going to die. This time I'm going to get you. You got out of it last night. This time I'll kill you graveyard dead. I'll kill your wife. I'll kill your husband. I'll kill your kids. I'll kill your grandkids. I'll burn your house down. I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll... Blow your house down. You can't stop him from doing that. He'll always do it. Because it's fear. It's all he's got. But there needs to be something you say afterward. In verse 45 in 1 Samuel 17, I've got it underlined in my Bible in red, red, red ink. It says, and then said David to the Philistines. See, there needs to always be a then says you. He'll curse you and he'll tell you, I'm going to get you, I'll kill you. That's what he did to David. You're just a dog. David, listen to all that nonsense because you can't stop it. But then it says, then said David to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. In this day, I'll take your head off your shoulder. It's a 17-year-old kid, doesn't even have a pocket knife. <clears throat> Got a sling. And he says, this day I'll take your head off your shoulder. And I'll feed your carcass to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. And all this assembly will know there's a God in Israel. Then he quoted him a scripture. For the Lord saves not... 
with the sword and the spear. The battle's the Lord's. And he'll win this thing for me. And then he slung the stone, hit him in the forehead. He fell over on his face. David Wren jumped up on his back. You know the story. Pulled out Goliath's own sword, cut his head off with it, picked up the bloody thing, hair teeth and eyeballs, took it back up to King Saul. So I don't think he'll bother you anymore. Amen. And all of Israel was scared. Saul was scared. But see, David knew a secret. He knew he had a covenant. That Abrahamic covenant said, if you're circumcised, you have a covenant with God. And so that's why David referred, used that word several times whenever he was referring to Goliath. He, he never called him a giant. He never called him anything respectful. He only called him an uncircumcised Philistine, a man without a covenant. He has no covenant. He cannot win. He has no covenant. I cannot lose. I have a covenant. And he said, he said I kill the lion and I kill the bear when they tried to get my daddy's sheep. And this uncircumcised, I can just hear him say it, just with disrespect, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. He'll be graveyard dead. Right? He knew he wasn't going to die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew they weren't going to die. Daniel knew he wasn't going to die. But the fear was the tactic that hell had to stop them, and it didn't work. It's hell's only play. Say, fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Absolutely cannot live in the same house. Amen. Did y'all get anything out of this tonight? It's 10 till 9. I better let you go. And uh, if you don't ever remember anything else I say, remember fear and faith can't live in the same house. Anytime you see that they're, they're coming at you with fear, anytime you feel that, you absolutely... I, I, I pray that you get a vision on the inside of you just all the time. You can see on the inside of you fear meter, faith meter, fear meter, faith meter, fear meter faith meter and whenever whenever that fear meter jumps up and it will something will pop up and scare you that fear meter will go like that but that's just that's just blow number one you need to get ready for blow number two don't 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 let that blow come when you're full of fear and empty on faith amen get that faith back up and the fear back down now you're ready for the second blow and then get the faith back up and the fear back down now you're ready for the third blow amen Stand up with me. What kind of leaders are we? What are our kids going to say about us in 10 or 20 years? What are our grandkids going to say about this little, this little bitty space in time that we've made a big deal out of, the government's made a big deal out of, and we've had so many worse things come on us over the decades and decades and years and years. I've gone in infectious disease countries all my life. As a missionary, infectious disease is my bailiwick. You know, it's where I live, where I go, what I do. Food I eat, dear Lord. You know, when you go over there and they serve you meat that's green and stinks, you, you don't have to be very spiritual to know it's not good. But the Bible says, eat what's set before you, so I eat it. You understand what I'm saying? I live in... Deadly circumstances, infectious diseases, threats of death. 
<clears throat> we, we, we can't succumb to this. Amen. And again, whatever you do with your own life is none of my business, none of pastor's business, unless you do it in fear. Then it becomes our business because we don't want you to die. Amen. We don't want you to die. We want you to live, prosper, be blessed, lead your kids, lead your grandkids, leave a legacy. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to us tonight by your spirit. Father, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as some do. And even more so as we see the day approaching. Hell is going to fight the church more and more and more. I never dreamed it happened in the United States of America that they'd attack the church, but they have. They have. And so much of your church has folded. So many of your churches has closed. They'll never open again. I'm so sorry about that, Father. That's your people. That's your people. They literally quit because of fear. Churches that literally quit because of fear. I'm not willing to say this is the end. I'm not willing to say the church will get worse. I believe we'll come back to the day where people flock to the church. Flock to the church. I believe that the day's coming when the sheep will come to the pastor, the shepherd, and say, Pastor, we need more church. We need to hear the Word of God. We need to be in a corporate atmosphere. We need to be where the Holy Ghost is present. When praise and in worship and in preaching. Bless your church, Father. And cause your people to walk steadfast. Cause them to walk with their head up and their shoulders back. Realizing they're bigger than they thought they were. They're better than they thought they were. And they can do more than they thought they could do. We are not mere men. We don't live by the beggarly elements of this world. We don't live like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't talk like the world. Father, you have a supernatural church. You supply for us whether there's jobs or not. You supply for us no matter what storm's coming. Father, you gave them manna and quail in the wilderness. If you tried to price quail on toast these days, it's an expensive meal. You gave them water out of a rock. They were, they were dying of thirst. There's no water anywhere. It's impossible. Washington, D.C. and Hollywood are scratching their heads saying, how are we going to get water? And you gave it to them. You told Moses, hit the rock. And you gave them water out of the rock to feed, to, 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 to give water to two million people. Father, you had angels bake angel food cakes and bring it to Elijah under the juniper tree. When he thought he was going to die, and he said, I just wish I was dead. I'm through. I'm done. The king's going to kill me. And you brought, angels brought him cake. The ravens brought food to the man of God. 
Father, you're our source. You are our supernatural source. The widow and her son and the prophet lived for a year. A year. A year they lived when she had no meal and no oil and thought she was going to make two cakes and die. She said, my son's going to eat a cake, I'm going to eat a cake, and we're going to die. And Elijah said, lady, make me a cake first. Give to God first. Give to God first. And he said, and then after, make yourself and your son a cake. I think it's so great, Father, that he used the word after. Now there's going to be an after. Ten minutes ago, there wasn't going to be an after. She's going to eat a cake, and her son's going to eat a cake, and they're going to die. There's no after. But he said, if you give to God first, there'll be an after. Give to God first. And after, you make yourself a cake. And you make your son a cake. And your word says he moved in with them for a whole year. That's 365 days. So if she made three cakes in the morning for breakfast, and then three cakes at lunch, and then three cakes at supper, that's nine cakes a day. Times 365 days, that's... Is that 3,685 cakes? And she thought she had enough for two? And we think you can't feed us today? Our God, whom we serve, is a supernatural, creative God. That supplies for us, takes care of of us has redeemed us and we trust you Lord thank you for faith in God and faith in your word because we're not just mere men I can't help what the Democrats do I can't help what the Republicans do but I know that as for me and my house we're going to serve God and God's going to take care of us. A thousand fall at our side, and ten thousand at our right hand. It will not come near us. No plague. No plague. I don't care what Latin name the plague has that medical science has put on it. No plague. No plague comes nigh our dwelling. What a God. What a God we serve. Father, forgive us for being in fear and help us that we make a declaration and a determination. We will not live in fear because fear and faith cannot live in the same house. And we're people of faith. In the name of Jesus. Father, pray, I pray blessings on every person here, every person watching online at home, the blessings of God on this last day of the year. And Father, I thank you that we end tonight in church, end the year in church. And Sunday morning, we'll start the year in church. We set our pace, we set our course by saying, Father, we ended the year in church and we started the year in church. And that's our lifestyle, to be about the master's business. 
and I thank you for it. Lord, I've told this church for all the many years I've been down here that every year you give us a brand new checkbook. It has 12 checks in it, labeled January to December. And then we spend that. At the end of the year, we can do a fruit inspection and see how we spend it. But tomorrow, we get a brand new checkbook. It's labeled 2022. And it'll have 12 checks in it. January through December. Father, help us to spend it right. Help us at this time next year, a year from now, we'll say, I spent that checkbook right. Father, today is the last day of our checkbook for 2021. I pray we look back and see how we spent it and how we're going to spend the next couple of hours. That heaven will be pleased. That heaven will be happy. And we thank you for it and give you the glory. Father, I pray for the people watching at home. I pray that they don't get in a habit of being lackadaisical about church. I'm glad they're tuning in. I'm glad they're watching. But don't let them be like my hair, my hairstylist, where they're trying to vacuum and do dishes and take care of the grandkids and do everything else and, and think they're listening because, because it, it cheats themselves. They're not getting the word. So I trust they're paying attention and focused. And just because they don't come to church doesn't mean they should stop paying tithes or giving, supporting the church, giving to God. And you'll bless them for it. And we give you the glory, the praise, the honor, the majesty, dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, 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 Amen. One more.